unashamed. That's the way Paul described it when he wrote to the Romans, to the church in Rome. One of Paul's greatest theological works is the book of Romans. He lays out in so much detail what is to be going on in our life, how we can have the plan of salvation and experience God. As he writes to this church that he has desperately desired to go and be with, but has had nothing to do with the establishment of it, he begins to lay out for them this simple plan. And one of the things he describes is the simple fact that he is unashamed of the gospel of Christ. Have you ever caught yourself in an environment where you felt like a little embarrassed to be a believer? Or or a little embarrassed about the crowd that's around you because they think, you know, that's that church-going guy. Sometimes we feel somewhat intimidated by the lost world around us, pressured, if you will. But when Paul considered his relationship with Christ and what Jesus had done in his life, he said, I am unashamed of the gospel. No matter how much the world laugh at us or make fun of us or ridicule us, he said, I am unashamed. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. If you had discovered the cure for cancer, would you be embarrassed to share it? Of course not. Have you discovered the cure for Lou Gehrig's or or some other sickness with which mankind wrestles? Would you be embarrassed to share it? Of course not. And yet you and I have discovered the cure for sin and the secret to eternal life. It is not some water in some fountain on some distant land. It is a relationship with the Son of God who cleanses our sins and gives us a new beginning in the beginning of eternal life. We are called to share this message. I want to pick up in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 1 of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verses 5. It says, Through Him and for His name's sake we receive grace. And apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Now, what? What is he saying? What does that mean? We have been privileged. We have been given an assignment from God, if you will. He says, but wait a minute, Brother Ken. He's talking about himself and his fellow workers. What did Jesus say? Go ye therefore into all nations. Who was he talking to? All of his followers, that 120 that gathered on that day that he ascended into heaven. We know that Paul is talking about more than just himself. We are called, our calling prepares us. You see, you've already got a message to share. Because you can share with someone else. All I know is I was lost and now I'm saved. All I know is that I invited Jesus into my life and he washed away my sins and he gave me a clean sheet. One of the things I like to do with the kids when I share with them is is turn to this page in my Bible. It says, you see that page? You see everything that's written on it. Ain't nothing on it. The Bible says every sin we've ever committed is recorded. Everything. But the day we trust Christ, our life looks like this blank page right here. It is all washed away. It's washed away. You see, we have a message to share Because we have hope and forgiveness in our Lord. Our faith 
precedes us. Does your faith precede you this morning? Has the life that you have tried to live since you trusted Christ become an example that plows the way for you to share your faith with others? Do your Christian friends and and classmates, kids, do they see in you legitimate Christianity so that when they need someone to talk to about a serious matter, they can come to you? Our faith precedes us. Or does our sin silence us? I'm going to tell you something, guys. You can't be the one telling all the dirty jokes and doing all the cursing and doing all the cheating and all the lying and be someone to point others to Jesus. Your sin silences your faith. She was a nurse. At the end of the corridor was a man who had been acknowledged to be dying from a lung disease. When she came in to work that day, the head nurse assigned her that gentleman at the end of the corridor. He was to be one of her patients for the day. He was difficult to get along with. He was easily irritated and he always frowned. Nobody wanted to deal with him. They all knew he was dying. That had been the prognosis, but it was slow. As she began to make her way down the room, she pulled herself together. She said to herself, I'm going to be as polite as I can, and I'm going to say as little as I can, so I won't upset him, and I won't irritate him. When she walked in the room that day, something was different. There was a fear in his face. She said, I began to do and go about my work. I began to to take care of him and fix the pole and all those things that have to be done. And as I got close to him, he gently reached and grabbed my hand. She said, I looked down at him and in his face was fear. And I simply asked him, are you afraid? And he nodded to the affirmative. She said, In a sense of boldness, I said, are you afraid of dying? Again, he nodded. She said, could I read something to you? Yeah. He turned her hand loose. She walked over to the drawer and pulled out the Bible. It was in it. She came back to him and she took that Bible and she read John 3, 16. Something like you and I would read to a lost friend. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then she said, I I read it a second time and I added his name to make it personal. Then she read John 1, 12. But as many as receive him, to them he gave the power. To become the sons of God. Even to them who believe on his name. She looked at his face and she said. Would you like to receive Jesus into your life? That's what I've been wanting to do. He said. Right there in that hospital room. The nurse bowed her head with him. As he sat up in the bed trying to get his breath. 
And together they prayed and he invited Jesus into his life. She thought to him, would you like to have the Lord's Supper now that you're a Christian? He said, I very much would. She called down to the chaplain. The chaplain was down in just, it seemed like moments, prepared to carry this mission out. And with him, they had the bread and the juice together to represent the fact that he had given his life to Christ, who was now his Savior. As the chaplain walked out of the room, he passed by the nurse still standing by the door. He said, you may want to go in for a moment. She said, I stepped back in to talk to him, but I didn't know what to say. I really didn't know him. We talked for a second. And then she said, I asked him, could I maybe sing a song for you? And a hymn came to mind. As he sat up in the bed, she said, I just kind of put my arm around on his shoulder and began to sing. She said, but there was something different when I entered the room this time before I talked to him. There was a smile on his face, and the fear was gone. I put my arm over around his shoulders. I stood by him and began to sing the hymn. I had just finished the first verse, she said, when his head fell forward, and I realized he was gone. It was the last hour of his life and yet he had found Christ you and I never know when our calling prepares us our faith precedes us it had preceded her he had seen in her life in her actions a love for Christ and her gratitude toward Jesus had prodded her own when the opportunity came to share the message of salvation If they called on you at 2 o'clock in the morning, you'd get up and go and share your faith with them. We need folks to be soul conscious, if you will. It is our gratitude to Jesus that prods us on, that reminds us that what we have, they can have. The salvation that we have experienced, they can experience. We don't have to be a preacher, guys. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to even be good at talking. All you've got to do is tell them, this is what Jesus did for me and what he can do for you. We are called to share the message. Verses 14 and 15, it says, And I am obligated both to Greek and to non-Greek, both to the wise and the foolish. This is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. We are confident that Jesus can help and bring healing to men's lives. That's why we do it. We are not trying to issue a new lease on life. We're not trying to give them some plan for a self-improvement decision. Guys, we are introducing them to the eternal Son of God who brings healing to heart and change to life.
as the four men brought the hopeless paralytic to Jesus in Mark chapter 2 and tore back the roof and lowered them to him. We bring men, women, and children to Christ to discover our Savior. Ours is not the message of self-improvement, but ours is the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus. If you were a successful college athlete and you saw a young prospect and you said, you know, I'm going to take you and introduce you to coach. What would you think? Oh, boy, they're going to introduce me. They're going to give me a head start. They're going to give me the opportunity to meet them, that they might know me personally and see my abilities personally. How thrilled would you be if you could introduce someone else to someone important to help them move forward in life? And yet you and I have the opportunity to introduce lost men to the eternal Savior. The one who fixes broken marriages, broken homes, and broken lives. I can't do that. I can't fix any of them. But you see, I know a Lord who can and who does. And so do you. He was a medic during the Vietnam War. You know, the average death of a soldier in Vietnam was 18 years old. That's a tough math to figure. And the reason was is because most of those young soldiers, as they arrived, never made it to the 19th birthday. So much so that it became the average, less than 19. Young men on the battlefield, not old codgers like me. Young men. He was sent to that battlefield. He was a medic. He said we had been eight months in Vietnam when we got in a firefight. He was ministering, taking care of or repairing an injured soldier. The edge of battle when unexpectedly the enemy came up behind him and them. They were captured. Fred Hansel would spend the next four years of his life in a Vietnamese prison camp. Fred said, I had one thing that I clung to. My little New Testament I had hid in my pocket. I had hid on my body, rather, as they took me captive. I had it with me, and I smuggled it into the prison camp. It was my companion. Over those four years, he often spent time in solitary confinement. He said on multiple occasions, those who had taken us beat us severely. After four years, he said, I, I and two others managed to escape the prison camp. We got outside, we got away, and for three weeks we lived on the land, eating what we could eat, finding what we could find. Until we stumbled up on American troops who took us in and got us back to safety. For the next several years of his life, having left the military, he would spend it in Miami, Florida. 
He said, one day I got a message from my parents. He says, when I had taken my New Testament, I wrote my name in it, and I wrote the address of my parents in it. They had received a letter from Vietnam. They mailed it on to me. When I opened the letter, to my surprise, he said, I discovered this message. I know you don't know me. I was one of the guards that often beat you in prison camp. After you left and left everything you had, I found the little New Testament in your belongings. And I wondered what it was that had been so special, so important to you. And I took it. After the war, he said, I escaped to Thailand. In the days and the months and the years that followed, he said, I made a profession of faith and trusted Jesus as my Savior. I'm a pastor. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be in Miami. And I would like to meet you. The man wrote him a letter back and agreed. A few weeks later, he met him at the airport with the man's wife with him. He said, when he came and approached me, he fell on his knees before me and pleaded with me to forgive him for what he had done to me in prison camp. He told him I'd have to think about that a while. We stood up and talked. He said, I'm about to pastor a church here in Miami. A group of Vietnamese. And I want you to come and share your story with my congregation. In the months that followed, a date was set. He made his way. But one week before this was to happen a few years ago, Hurricane Andrew hit Miami. Y'all remember that? This man got out to try to go and visit some of his church members in the midst of the storm to be sure they were okay. But unfortunately, the Vietnamese was killed during the hurricane. He said, I was contacted later by his wife, and she asked me, would I still come and speak at the church? It had been his heart's desire. She said, we set the date, and I made the agreement. In that pulpit, he said, as I spoke with his people and told my story, he said, I found the strength to forgive him for all the torturing he had done to me in Vietnam. And I found the strength to thank God that he had taken that little Bible that had been mine and had led him and so many others that followed him to Christ. When I left that day, he said his wife presented me with that little Bible and said, my husband would want you to have this back. Folks, we are confident that Jesus can bring help and healing to men's lives. He takes the truth in this book we call the Bible. And he touches their heart and their life. And he brings them to him. Folks, we are also convinced that men are hopeless without Jesus. Paul goes on to make it clear in verses 18 and following. Listen to what he says. The raft of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. I know, and you know, you and I live in a world filled with wickedness that laughs at God. God said it from the beginning. That'll be the world's response. Paul says we're without excuse because God has revealed himself. Now, wait a minute, Brother Ken. I have never seen God. Any of y'all ever seen God? You ever got a good look at his face? You hadn't, have you? I've never seen God in that way. But here's what Scripture says. God has revealed himself to you. How? In the world that he created. Well, we got a big bang theory for that. You know, it just all exploded and happened. I don't know the chemistry, guys. I don't know how God put it together. Only God knows that. But I know that this world is so phenomenal, it doesn't just happen. I like to work with wood, kids. You know, I like to glue stuff together and clamp together and build stuff. And in my house, there's some stuff I put together. I got a desk downstairs and, I don't know, tables and all kind of things through the years I've put together and I've built. Suppose you came at my house and I looked at you and I pointed to you one of those desks with the carvings and the things in them. And I said to you, you said, well, Brother Ken, where did that come from? And I said, well, I was just sitting here one day. And there was a bunch of lumber out in the yard. And a wind just came by and he blew it together. And I had some glue in my shop and it just kind of got caught up in the wind. And there was a saw in there and it just started running and the boards flew by and the saw cut them and the wind blew them together and the glue stuck it. There it is. What would you say to me? Brother Ken, you went off the deep end, right? You as nutty as a fruitcake, right? Why? You're not dumb. You know it doesn't work that way. It don't just fall together. Suppose I told you this rich, rich, rich watch of mine, yeah, that's one of those, well, I don't know what kind it is, but that's one of those little wrist watches you can go to Walmart like. But I said to you, you know, one day there was a, a band floating in the air and there was some metal and some springs and some hands and it all just kind of jumped together. What would you say? Brother Ken, it don't work that way. You're not dumb. And yet we live in a world that if our atmosphere was a little thicker, a little thinner, would burn up. We have a heart that pumps blood so amazing and so much through all these miles of arteries in our body that is beyond imagination. We've got something in our brain, nerve waves, if you will, nerves that all those electrical impulses flow back and forth in that teaches you when to blink your eye, when to smile, when to frown, when to say, ooh, that tastes bad, you know, all of that stuff. So complicated. And you mean to tell me that came from a one-cell amoeba? I got problems with that. Do you? God says in His Scripture, in His Scripture, 
that there is no excuse for man can just look up at the heavens and realize there's got to be a God. It don't just happen. And it's too big for Brother Penn to glue together. And it's too big for you to glue together. Only God can do that. Man is without excuse. He goes on to tell us. Man is blinded by pride in verse 21, 22. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But they, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They said, we don't care. We're just going to do what we want. We don't care if there's a God. We're going to do it however we want. And so man makes his own choice. And you know what? God lets us. It's your choice. God in his love for you will not make you a puppet doing whatever the strings he pulls would cause you to do. He has given you your life and he's placed it in your hands. And then he's told you, but I love you so much. I've come to earth, died on a cross to pay for your sins that you might be mine. But that is your choice. I can't make you make it. If I could, I'd twist your arm. If I could, I'd force you for your own good. But I can't. It's your choice. And only the Holy Spirit of God can tap your heart and say to you, what Brother Ken is saying to me is true. It's what the Scripture says. Paul said, I'm unashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God unto salvation. You've got a secret to tell. You've got an answer for man's need. You can't fix their problems. And I can't fix their problems. But you see, I can share with them about Jesus. And he can fix their problems. And he does. One issue at a time. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? Oh, Father... Be with us this morning. Remind us of the great privilege we have to share your word. Remind us of the power of this Bible, this word, and how it touches human hearts and lives. And help us to share it, whether we place them in a hospital room or whether we share it as we read it to a lost friend. Lord, challenge us to get off the sidelines. And share your faith that our friends, our family, and our loved ones will know the story of our Savior. We ask these things, Lord, in Christ's name.